started a new teaching series last week looking at different instances where people encountered Jesus Christ, where there was a collision with Jesus. And so last week, you may remember, we looked at the paralyzed man who his four friends carried him down through the roof of a house and dropped him right in front of Jesus. We talked about this idea of paralysis and how each of us need a collision. Now, I hope you came to church this morning ready to encounter God. So turn to somebody around you, just tell them you're going to encounter God. Go ahead and tell them. Let's just get some faith going in the room. You're going to encounter God. Now, I don't know what your circumstances are, what your situation is. I don't know all the details of your life, but I do know that if you would open your heart today, that you are going to encounter the person and the work of Jesus. I promise you that. So if you want to begin uh, with me in the scriptures, I'm going to start in Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to read 20 verses, all right? 20 verses, so uh, it's kind of long. You ready? In the back, you guys ready back there? Everybody doing okay? All right, here we go. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Isn't that a good way to start your day? Awesome. Thank you so much for that. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. It's about to get stranger, so get ready. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. If you'd like to take notes, title of today's sermon is, I belong to you. I belong to you. Would you pray with me and open your heart to the word of God today? We open our hearts right now, Jesus, to your Holy Spirit and to your word. God, we come to you humbly and just confess that uh, there's a lot of things about this story that's confusing, that we don't understand. But I pray that you would open up our spirits today and that we would hear the Holy Spirit profoundly and personally. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. The man who was tormented by demons. Demons aren't the most popular guys 
in our culture today. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Demons are not exactly the who's who of, uh, of culture. In fact, if you look statistically, in the United States of America, over 90% of people believe in God, okay? So the vast majority of people in the United States have a belief in God. The devil doesn't exactly pan out as popular as God is. He's hovering right around 57%. All right, so 57% of people believe in the devil, but over 90 believe in God. I remember as a young follower of Christ, hearing about the good news of Jesus, how he died and rose again for me, and how I could have relationship uh, with God through him. As a young man, that truth changed my life. But I didn't have a whole grid for the devil and demons and spiritual forces and a spiritual realm or world. I didn't know what those things were all about. I remember the first real encounter I had was as a young guy at church, and as a young guy at church, there was a girl who had been in the occult, and she had been practicing, uh, you know, worship of demons. And so she came to church with all of her occult books, all these different books that she had, and she asked if we could burn the books because she no longer wanted to worship the devil. And this was all new to me. And so we took the books at the end of the church service, and a number of the leaders put lighter fluid on the books and put a match on the lighter fluid, and it didn't light. And the girl said, well, the demon told me that the books won't catch on fire. And so we said, ha, 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 that's ridiculous. Let's light again. And they wouldn't light. And we said, that's ridiculous. Let's light again. And then 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by. We cannot get these books to light. Finally, we stop and a group of us gathered around this group, this, uh, this bin of books that we were trying to burn, and we began to pray. And we said, God, would you come? Would you break any spiritual stronghold? Would you set anybody free that's bound? And we pray that you would advance and prove the name of Jesus. The next match we lit, those books went on fire. And at that time, I'm 13, 14 years old, I'm thinking to myself, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something beyond the natural realm that I can see. And maybe it's not just God that is in this spiritual reality. Maybe there are these angels and these demons and these dark forces. And since that time, I can confess to you that I have had many encounters with this dark reality. And I have seen the power in the name of Jesus set people free in a moment. I have seen darkness obsess an individual and see them delivered instantaneously more times than I can count by the power of God. Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't know what you believe about all this stuff, but if you're here and you say, you know, I don't know if I believe in all that darkness demon stuff. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said people either pretend it doesn't exist or they become obsessed with it. And neither of them are good, whether it be the magician or the unbeliever, either one uh, the devil's pleased with. And so uh, it's not that demons are everywhere or everything, but it is that demons are real. And this spiritual world that we don't see is a reality. You know, you look at the news. That's probably the quickest way to become convinced that demons are real. I remember the story of the guy in Miami who took some drugs, did something, and, and uh, he ends up attacking a homeless man. And in his wild obsession, grabs this homeless man. This is a true story. Grabs this homeless man and begins to eat the man's face. And he ends up, before police could get, get him off, it took the police four shots to get this man to stop after multiple warnings. And the man growled at the police as he was shooting them. And this man ate 75% of this homeless man's face over the course of 18 minutes. I read that story and said... Demons are real. Turn to the person next to you and tell them this stuff is real. 
This stuff is real. It's true. This stuff is real. I don't know if you remember the story of Erin Caffey, young girl. She was 16 years old, and her parents told her she was not allowed to go out on a date with this particular kid, and that really offended her. And so her response to that was to torture and murder her, ter- her two brothers, light her house on fire, and kill her mom. Now, I don't know what happened in this girl's childhood, but that is not an appropriate response. Okay? Something was going on beyond psychological imbalance, beyond emotional distress, beyond physical condition. There was something else going on. In our world today, there have never been more slaves than there are right now. The sex trafficking industry is over $100 billion profit every single year. And so if these individuals all across the world are making millions and even billions of dollars kidnapping young girls, dragging them out of their homes, and selling them as prostitutes, that's not just something that's mentally deranged. That's something that is spiritually dark. Everybody tracking? This stuff is real, and it manifests in our culture in a hundred different ways. And the good news is that Christians are promised in Scripture protection, deliverance, and freedom from this dark reality. We don't have all the answers. We don't know all the specifics of how this dark reality works, but we are promised that the name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. Somebody say, that's good news. The name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. And so we can trust in the name of Jesus in the midst of this. But though a Christian has protection from this darkness, it does not stop this spiritual darkness darkness from seeking to hinder your life. And I don't believe that you'll ever be running around in a tomb naked like this man was, but I do believe that you can be attacked, that you can be tormented, that you can be oppressed, that you can be deceived, and that eventually, if you are not aware, you can be enslaved to the reality of these dark things. And so oftentimes the way that this will work is he gets, a spiritual force will get just a little toehold in your mind, a little way of thinking. Maybe it comes from a tragedy. Maybe it comes from a loss young, early in your life. Maybe it comes from an unbelief that you've kind of festered in and it becomes a toehold and over time that toehold becomes a foothold where now the enemy can get you to be afraid every single time he taps that button every single time those circumstances come up you see that person's face or you hear that person's name there's this foothold of fear in your heart and before you know it it becomes a stronghold a mental struggle or chain in your mind and you become enslaved to that habit and it can torment you And so this individual, this guy, is struggling big time. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. See, our world doesn't know what to do with this stuff. We don't know what to do with these spiritual realities because we don't have a grid for it, right? And we try medication and we try, you know, psychoanalysis and we try counseling and we try uh, group therapy and we try uh, time away and we try all these things and thank God for all those things. Those are not evil. Those things can be very beneficial in the life of an individual. But when you have a spiritual problem, you can't counsel out a spiritual problem. When you have a demonic oppression, you can't medicate out a demonic oppression. When there's darkness in your soul, there's only one answer there's only one solution to your freedom you guys are really quiet I was hoping you'd clap there or do something exciting like "Woo, we believe that okay good and so it's interesting the uh the response of culture here that we see the first strategy that they have is let's chain him up he's crazy let's chain him up 
We've been doing that for years, by the way. He's crazy. Let's chain him up. Now, every struggle of the mind is not demonic. That's not what I'm saying. But clearly, this man had a spiritual struggle. And so this man was battling spiritually. And the idea was chain him up. Chain him up. And so we've been chaining people up who are distressed and bound for a long, long time. How's that working? It's not working so well. No matter how thick the chains are, the chains on the inside still exist. And so you can create outward structures for your inward torment, and it doesn't solve the problem. How many know that? It doesn't solve the problem. No matter what the inner torment is, an outward structure won't solve it. And so the next strategy is they say, well, let's try to subdue him. In the Greek, that, language, that word literally means to tame. Think of like, okay, there's a crazy lion. Let's tame him. Let's tame him. And so the culture all around us is constantly trying to tame individuals that are spiritually hungry and oppressed. I don't have an answer for my life. I don't have a purpose for living. I don't know why I can't sleep at night. I have this insecurity about me. I have this worry about the future. I don't know who I am. And instead of finding the answer in Jesus, the strategy of society is let's tame him. Let's get him to watch enough TV so he doesn't think about that stuff anymore. Let's get him to take enough drugs so that he doesn't think about that stuff. Let's numb him. Let's fog his mind and cloud him out, distract him from God so that the solution never gets into his soul. Chain him and tame him. I wonder if you're chained or tamed right now because that's the reality of so many around us and it doesn't work. Look at verse 5. Look where this guy ends up after they've tried to chain him and tame him. It says, night and day. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was lying. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So here's what we see. We see a man who is driven by his impulses, a man who is constantly in tears, never able to sleep, anxious all the time, living in isolation. And I look out at our culture and our world, and I can promise you that you know people like this. And you may be here in the room right now, and you are struggling in this way, feeling so isolated, feeling so alone, feeling so tormented on the inside, your mind always racing, your thoughts always inconsistent and erratic, your fears consuming you. Or maybe you find yourself tamed by a thousand intoxicants so that you don't have to think about these big things. But here's what I know. I know that all around us in our society, 2,000 years have passed, but very little has changed. You may not be naked running around in a graveyard, I hope, but you are in many instances and in many ways tormented by the things on the inside that you've never found resolution for. And the great need of this man's life and the great need of every one of our lives is a collision with Jesus, a collision with Jesus. And so we see in the scriptures that that's exactly what happens. This man desperately needs a collision with Jesus and by God's grace, it occurs. And so it's kind of wild. And, uh, you know, you think about this moment. Imagine it with me, okay? You're one of the disciples, okay? You're Bartholomew, all right? And so here you are. You're on the boat with Jesus. Now, if you know the story, the night before, he just calmed the sea, which is kind of awesome. And so they're all like, who is this guy? You know, even the wind obeys him. Which, by the way, Lord, it'd be great if you settled that wind down now. It'd be awesome. All right, so either way, we're good, though. And so, and so he calms the wind down. And then he gets out of the boat, and just imagine being one of the disciples, and then here comes this guy tearing out of those woods, this naked man who's got cuts all over his body, he's dirty, right, he's crazy looking, and he comes flying out of the forest, all right, and and here he is running down the mountainside, and you can see him, kind of running down the mountainside, and Jesus steps out of the boat, what are you thinking as one of the disciples? You know, you're thinking like, this is going to get crazy, right, what's going to happen now? 
We got crazy man coming to Jesus. This is going to be an epic battle between good and evil, light and darkness. It's going to be the fight of a lifetime. Back in the 1980s, Mike Tyson was the big fighter of the day, right? You guys remember Mike Tyson, right? Who kind of, you know, anyways. But in the early days, he was just incredible. Iron Mike Tyson, he was just unbeatable. And there was one other fighter who was rising through the ranks to the same degree as Mike Tyson. His name is Michael Spinks. And Michael Spinks was an incredible fighter. Both fighters were undefeated. Both fighters had different belts, okay? And so in 1988, the, uh, the boxing community put together what was supposed to be the fight of the century. It was supposed to be the big fight of fights. Two undefeated fighters, young, passionate, unproven, but dead dedicated and committed and gifted these two powerhouses coming together and so there was all kinds of money all kinds of hype it was one of the most lucrative fights in the history of boxing and they get together and this big massive event takes place they ring the bell ding 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 right and everybody's like what's gonna happen what's gonna go 12 rounds it's gonna be nuts who's gonna win 91 seconds later michael spinks is unconscious and everybody's like you know i kind of feel like i didn't get my money's worth on that you know This one is even faster. It's even faster. If you've ever wondered, I don't know, man, darkness seems pretty strong. I'm not sure if Jesus can really handle the darknesses of our society. I don't know if he can handle the struggles of my own heart. I don't know if Jesus can really set me free from the paralyzed thinking I've been wrestling with. Look at what it says in verse uh, 6 here, when they collide. You ready? Follow it with me. And when he saw Jesus from afar, here we go, here we go, here's the big fight. He ran and, and, and fell down before him. That like wasn't even one second. It was like, ah, okay, it's over. All right. What I want you to realize today is I don't know what you're going through on the inside. I don't know the conflicts you're struggling with. I don't know the thoughts that torment you. I don't know the fears that you're battling with, but here's what I absolutely know, and I want you to get deep inside your soul. If you would just run towards Jesus... If you would just come towards him, it doesn't matter how dark that darkness is. It doesn't matter how big that demon is. It doesn't matter how strong that addiction is. The power of Jesus Christ is immeasurably stronger that there is no contest between light and darkness. There is no contest between demonic powers and Christ. He is forever reigning and he's here right now by his spirit to deliver in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, this is the reality. This is the reality. There's no match here. And look at what happens in the scripture. This is where things get a little strange. Stay with me this morning. Stay with me. Verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a struggle in your life. Maybe not. But if you've ever had a struggle, what I've found is that struggles love company, don't they? And so in your mind, what you'll find is it's not just a lust problem that you have where you can't seem to uh, stay pure in your thoughts, but it's also a guilt problem. You feel bad about it all the time. So now you've got lust and guilt going on in your mind. But it's not just that. You feel unworthy because of that. So now you have this workaholic problem. And you feel like you've got to earn your way back to God. So you're always working. And so now you've got the workaholic problem plus the lust problem plus the guilt problem. And they all get together. And there are these spiritual forces that play upon the multiple issues of your own soul. My name's Legion, for we are many. We are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the 
and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So this just got really weird. What is going on here? When's the last time you saw 2,000 pigs run into the ocean? It's been a couple weeks for me. I mean, this must have been a crazy sight. What were the people thinking? Now, you got to know a little bit of the history of this area to understand what's happening here. Because Jesus is not just, you know, killing pigs. Remember, first of all, that it was the demons that attacked the pigs, not Jesus. And so there are mysteries here. How a spiritual thing can attack an animal. All these types of things are, are confusing. We don't know all the answers. But here's some things that are interesting to note about this predicament. One is that this, this land, one of the names for this land, was called the Gadarenes. And it was founded by the tribe of Gad. And if you know your Hebrew history, you know that the tribe of Gad was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were a tribe that honored God and followed God. But over generations and generations, the tribe of Gad had been intermarrying and intermingling with the pagan people of the day. Now, when they settled the land, God put specific things in order to keep them from pagan practices. And the chief idol of the pagan practices of this land was none other than the pig. The pig was the animal which they sacrificed in their pagan rituals, which they exalted in worship of false deities. And so when Israel moved into Canaan, God commanded them not to eat or even touch, and especially not herd pigs. It was part of God's way of protecting the people from the pagan practices. But over time, the people of Gad had ignored those practices. So by the time that Jesus comes in, it's kind of like a partially Hebrew, partially pagan culture that had mixed all together the practices of both societies. They were aware of the scriptures and the things of God, and yet they had had allowed compromise to settle into their society. And so now you've got an individual herding pigs. And so when the demons are cast out for whatever reason, they attack these pigs and they go running off the cliff. And Jesus uses the pigs as a physical illustration to the people of Gad to say, hey, listen, I am Jesus and I am here so that I can clean out the house. The compromise has been living for a long time. The pagan practices have been getting into your mind and the lies of the enemy have been infiltrating your thoughts and I'm here to clean house. I'm here to get this stuff out. I'm here to deliver and I'm here to get rid of the compromise. I am here to set you free. That's what he's saying in this incredible circumstance. And so now... These pigs become a billboard to the people of Gad to say, listen, compromise will kill you. Come to me. And there's two distinct responses to Jesus that I want to focus on just for a couple minutes. Two distinct responses. The first is the people in the town. How do they respond to Jesus? Let's check that out. The people in the town. It says the herdmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, here's the response. And they were what? Say it out loud. They were afraid. They were afraid. I think that fear is the number one thing that keeps people from the fullness of God in their life. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? If you want to jot this down just for a minute, I'm going to give you three things really quick that I believe that these people were afraid of. They were afraid of. And I believe that these are the three major things that very oftentimes keep you and I from Jesus. They keep you and I from Jesus. And these little fears sneak in. And I just encourage you to jot them down and consider, are these things keeping me from Jesus right now? Number one, I'm afraid of what I don't understand. 
I hear this one all the time as a pastor, as a person who uh, gets to sit with people all the time and just walk with them through spiritual things. Very often I hear people articulating the reality that they're afraid of what they don't understand. See, in the story, these guys saw pigs running down a cliff into the water, and it was terrifying. They saw a demon-possessed guy who was in their mind supposed to be crazy, who was no longer crazy. And you know, in your life, you can actually get used to crazy things. And when they stopped being crazy, that's a little, un, you know, it's not comforting. It's like, hey, you're supposed to be crazy. Why are you not crazy anymore? That's not good. And they were so afraid of what they didn't understand that they decided to push Jesus away. They're afraid of what they don't understand. I sit with people all the time, and they say, you know, Justin, I just can't trust Jesus. And I say, well, why not? And they say, well, this person died, or this person had cancer. This person struggled, and I don't have an answer. I don't understand, and because I don't understand, I'm afraid. And because I don't have an answer, it's going to limit my confidence in God. As if to say, God had a responsibility to answer all of your questions. In other words, you are subjecting the sovereign, divine creator of the universe to your intellectual understanding. And if he is not willing to submit himself to your understanding, then you won't follow him. I'm afraid of what I don't understand. And what you've done in doing that, you've decided not to worship God, but instead to worship yourself because you've elevated your understanding above his wisdom. And when you do that, you can never get to Jesus. You can never get to him. I'm afraid of what I don't understand. The next thing they're afraid of is I'm afraid of losing my normal, my sense of normalcy, my, my normal routines. How many of you have ever been to City Church before? Let me see your hand. You've been to City Church before. I would say that about 80% of you that have been here before are sitting where you've sat before. And you do that because you're a creature of habit. So am I. We go through routines. What you ate for breakfast today is probably something you've eaten before. The socks you're wearing, the shoes you're wearing, most likely are something you've worn before. We are creatures of habit. We get into these habits, and it just becomes our routine. Now, how many of us are those type of people that, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you don't like it when somebody disrupts the routine? When the routine gets disrupted, it messes you all kinds up. You know, you're just, you're just frustrated about it because the routine got violated. How dare they violate my routine? I know there's some of you like that. We change service times like every couple weeks just to tick you off, you know? No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. I'm just kidding. Well, not to tick you off at least. But people love their normal. And here Jesus comes in, and as he begins to express who he is, everything is going crazy, right? Their situations are changing. Their circumstances are shifting. A crazy guy is no longer crazy. It's weird to me that even chains can become normal to people. That you're here today, and maybe you battle with an addiction, and that addiction is comforting. Maybe you practice some uh, spiritual things. You go to a, uh, you know, a, uh, a tarot card reader. Or you, you do these other spiritual practices and it becomes an enslavement to you. But you actually get so used to it that even the chains become normal. Chains of addiction, chains of fear, chains of anxiety can still feel like home. They can deceive you into thinking that that's who you are, and they can become normal. And when Jesus shows up, when a collision with Jesus occurs, he starts violating your sense of normal, and many of us cling to that. They're afraid of losing normal. And then look at verse 16 and 17 with me. We see their response in full. It says this. It says, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And so it's not just what happened to the demon-possessed man that scared them. It's also the pigs. What about the pigs? Well, one, that they ran off the cliff and died. But the other, that we just lost 2,000 pigs. How much does 2,000 pigs cost? I don't know. I haven't sold pigs recently, so I'm not sure. 
the exact price, but 2,000 pigs certainly had a significant cost to it. And so the third fear rumbling around in their hearts is, I'm afraid of the personal cost. I'm afraid of the personal cost of following Christ. I wonder if you've ever wrestled with the personal cost. You know, I'm not willing to sacrifice what this gospel is requiring me to sacrifice. I'm afraid of the personal cost. So their response is they decide that they would rather part ways with Jesus. Stay with me today. They would rather part ways with Jesus than lose their pigs. And it's interesting that many times, look at me just for a second. I've sat with you and with many others. And I hear your heart and your struggles with God. And when you get down to it, there's a fear of the cost because you start choosing pigs over Jesus. And you say, no, I don't, Justin. I don't, I don't even have pigs. But you choose your job over, Je- you're willing to walk away from Jesus for the sake of some job. You're willing to walk away from Jesus for the sake of some boyfriend. You're willing to walk away from Jesus for the sake of some promotion. You're willing to compromise your faith for some personal advantage because you're not willing to pay the cost. I'm talking to somebody today that it costs to follow him. These fears. This is one response. Afraid. Afraid. And you know the most tragic part of this entire story? The most tragic part of this entire story is they beg Jesus to leave And he does. And there's some of you here right now. You can hear my voice. And in your history, you've had some moments where you've begged Jesus to leave. You've said, you know what, God, I'm just going to go party this weekend and I don't want to think about, you know what, God, I'm not going to be faithful to my spouse and I don't want to think about you. I, I just want you to go just for a little while. I just want you to leave for a little while. I just want you to be not like you're here for a little while, not realizing that you've got chains around your hands and you're asking Jesus to leave. And, you know, my prayer all week as I was studying this, my prayer is that he doesn't answer that request. That when you ask him to leave, he says to you, no. Because in this story, what we see is they ask him to leave, and he does. And that, to me, is terrifying. That you and I could be so foolish, so blind, so afraid, that we ask Jesus to go, and he does. But there's a second response to Jesus that we see in the scripture. And that's what I want to focus on here. A second response to the collision. And of course, we see this in this man who was formerly bound by a demon. And in 2016, here's my desire for you. As we are in week two of our church in 2016, my desire for you is that you respond as this man does. My desire for you is that no matter where you're at, if you have little problems or big problems, little torments or big torments, no matter where you are in the spectrum, my prayer is that you respond like this man. This man has a very specific, and distinct response. See, you know, he knew what it meant to be a slave. He had lived his life in the tombs, a slave to oppression, a slave to torment, a slave to fear. And he's so used to that reality that when Jesus sets him free, his natural inclination is to turn to Jesus and say, well, I don't belong to that thing anymore. Now I belong to you. I belong to you. I'm not making a deal with God. I'm not brokering an agreement with you. I just simply belong to you. And look at what happens. God, enlighten me in this verse. I want to show it to you today. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man. Look how he's described. God's trying to say something to you through this description. And he says, it's the one who had a legion. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Sitting where? Where is he sitting? 
It had been a while now. All the people of the city had left, gotten more people, gone to the town, then come back. It would probably been all day. And when they get back, the man is sitting there. Where's there? It's not a trick question. With Christ. He's seated with Christ. After he experiences the collision, what's he do? He stays seated with Christ. And then the scripture decides to mention that he's clothed. Where did he get the clothes? Well, the only people who were there were Jesus. So he's seated, come Holy Spirit, with Christ. He's clothed by Christ. He's, this is his response. He is seated with Christ. He's clothed by Christ. This is the response. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, I belong to you. I'm seated with you. I'm clothed by you. He makes personal contact with Jesus. See, the collision is one thing. But then after the collision, the man stays. He remains seated. He remains clothed. And in that position, he stays because he understands that it's crucial for personal contact to occur. Personal contact to occur. Have you ever had this happen to you? God's trying to speak to you today. Have you ever had this happen to you where, uh, you know, maybe you hear a band, a friend gives you a few songs from a band, and they don't, it doesn't grab you right away? But then for some reason you end up at one of the band's concerts. This ever happened to you? And, and you didn't really love the band until you went to the concert. And then after you saw that band live, you looked in the face of the musicians. You heard the stories about the songs. And the next day or the next week, you took that same music that you had listened to previously and you put it back on. And when you put it on this time, it doesn't sound like it used to sound. It's as if the songs have come alive. Has that ever happened to you before? And you're like, what happened to this music that previously it was okay and now it's just my favorite thing? I remember uh, years ago, there was a band, a Christian ska band called Five Iron Frenzy. Anybody remember Five Iron Frenzy? Okay, a few strangely committed fans. I was not a fan. I remember hearing their songs and I was just not a fan. I was like, ah, you know, it's okay. I'm not a fan though. And then a friend of mine invited me to one of their concerts. And so we went to their concert and by chance... We ended up connecting and becoming friends with their guitar player. He took us on his tour bus. He hung out with us for over an hour. Later, he ended up playing a concert with us, playing guitar with us on, at one of our events in the band that I was with. And so this guy became a friend of the band. And, uh, and it was incredible because now I would put their music on and it didn't just sound like Five Iron Frenzy, the band I didn't really like. I had had personal contact with the band. And so because of that contact, now something about that music came alive and before I I knew it, I had a deeper commitment to them because the contact was real. I'm trying to go somewhere today. See, to be a Christian is not to be familiar with the song. Some of us are here and you're familiar with the song. Oh, I've done this my whole life. I know the deal. I know when to stand, when to sit. I know when to pray, when to clap. I know when to say amen. I got the song down. That's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is when the song comes alive because you know the artist. Being a Christian is when the music speaks to you in your heart because it's real for you. See, the gospel 
simply declares that God came to earth, that he became a man, that he became your representative, and that he walked amongst humanity so that he could substitute his life for yours. And hanging on the cross when God the Father saw God the Son, he imputed to the Son the wickedness of your own life so that all of your wickedness could be forgiven from birth to death, completely resolved in the blood of his Son. And so that perfection defines you now Because in his death, he pays for it. In his resurrection, he confirms it. In his ascension, he invites you. And now the scripture says in this crazy reality that today, right here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in fact seated with Christ. The collision has occurred and now the position is confirmed. The apostle Paul says it like this in this crazy passage that keeps sneaking away from me. It says this, but because of his great love for us, Come on, God's trying to say something to you. Who God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What am I getting at here? What I'm getting at is that your position, when it becomes real, When it becomes real, there's personal contact that's made. It's not just a theory. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a religion. Hear me today. I know Jesus. Not because mom says I have to. Not because the pastor convinces me to. I know Jesus because I've made personal contact. I know Jesus because inwardly I'm seated And it's not just my position, it's my appearance. I've put on his righteousness. I'm clothed by him, he's covered my nakedness. I'm confident in who I am, my identity comes from him, not from the accolades of people. My purpose comes from him, not from my job or even my family. I find myself in him. And when this man finds himself in Jesus, there's a particular result. It says that he's clothed. It says that he's with Christ, seated. Side note, how much energy does it take to be seated? All of my weight rests on something else. All of my weight, I'm seated. Not trying to justify myself, not trying to look good enough in your eyes or anyone's eyes because I'm seated with Christ. Seated. It's a place of inner security. And then it says, once you're seated and once you're clothed, it says he's in his right mind. Somebody say right mind. He's in his right mind. He's in his right mind. You've been in your wrong mind for a long time. You've been in your wrong mind for a long time because you've not had the understanding of who you are and where you're seated and who has clothed you. But when the truth of the gospel gets on the inside, it's not just a story you've heard. It's a person you've met. And the deeper that relationship goes, the further the results will go. And look at the results in this man's life. I want you to see this today. God wants to speak to you because this is your plan. This is God's plan for you in 2016. In verse 18, look at what it says. It says this about the man. It says, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. In other words, he says, I have this longing, Jesus, to be near you. I have a hunger to stay close to you. See, when you have personal contact, the result is a hunger to stay close to Jesus. 
And Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to stay with me. Go home to your friends and tell them how the Lord, what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. A couple thoughts there real quick. The first is, did you notice that Jesus said, go tell everyone how much the Lord has done. And the man left and told them how much Jesus had done. See, the man understood that Jesus has become my Lord. I belong to you. I belong to you. You're my king. That's what the word Lord means. You're my master. And Jesus said, go to your friends. And the man said, that's great, Jesus. I'll go to my friends. But this thing inside of me can't be contained with my friends alone. I'm going. The word Decapolis in that day represented 10 large cities in that region. And so the scripture says that the man went to every single one of the cities. He went to every one of the major cities declaring who Jesus was, person after person, hearing about the good news of Christ because of this one man who was delivered. See, inside of his heart, he found a deep hunger to stay close. I wonder if you have that hunger today. And inside of his heart, he found this deep passion to proclaim the good news. I wonder if you see that passion in your heart today. When's the last time you proclaimed the good news to someone else? When's the last time you've had such a passion to stay close that in your time of prayer, you lost track of time? Friend, what I'm inviting you into in 2016 is a collision with the spirit of Jesus, with the presence of Jesus, with the nearness of Jesus. You can jot this down as we wrap up today because here's the whole gist of what we see in this man's life. That personal contact provokes this uncommon devotion personal contact provokes this uncommon devotion, this devotion to God that cannot be taught, that cannot be trained, that cannot be uh, described. It's inward. And you know, the passion of my heart for our church is not that you create some new discipline. It's not that you organize your life differently or that you give more money. It's not that you invite more friends. None of those things are the essence of what my heart longs for for you this year. When I look out at our community of faith, the longing of my heart is that you have a contact with Jesus, that your heart encounters his heart in such a deep way that we don't have to twist your arm to be hungry to stay close. We don't have to twist your arm to proclaim his good news. It's burning in your heart because you've sat with him. You've been clothed by him and you know what it feels like to be in your right mind. All my prayer is for contact for you today. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Right now, Right now is an invitation to contact with Jesus. I don't know what torments you. I don't know what struggles you face. Someone in the room today, a divorce has just tormented you for years. That this struggle of your relationships and abortion has tormented you for years. A feeling of being alone, like you're not good enough for another person has tormented you for years. Let me tell you today, this is your day of deliverance. This is your day of an encounter. This is your day of a collision. So what should you do? You should do the same thing that this man did. Run from the mountains. Run from the isolation. Run from the tombs. Run from the chains. Snap them off and run to Jesus. Throw yourself down at his feet and then stay with him. Let him clothe you. Let him get you in your right mind. Because he desires personal contact this morning. Would you close your eyes right now? Would you open your heart right now? Holy Spirit, would you come?
Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for freedom from the oppression of the enemy. In the name of Jesus right now, I pray deliverance from this spirit of oppression that has oppressed so many in the room today. And God, they may not be living amongst the tombs, but Lord, in the spirit, they are, in fact, living amongst the tombs. Dead dreams, dead ideas, dead things of the past that haunt them still. And Father, I decree by faith that every person that can hear the sound of my voice, today is the day of deliverance for you. That you don't have to live in the shadow of your past anymore in Jesus' name. You don't have to live in the shadow of your fears anymore. You don't have to limit your contact with God because of your fears of losing your normal. Because of your fears of not understanding. Because of your fears of personal cost. You are free from those things. Run to Him now in Jesus' name. Run to Him now in Jesus' name. Run to Him now in Jesus' name. Run to Him now. And say the same words right now in the Spirit. Say the same words that this man said. I belong to you. I belong to you. I belong to you, God. With all of my heart, with all of my soul. That's my prayer. For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.